0: Chapter 4 of France and England in North America, Part 3. La Salle Discovery of the Great West. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lawrence Trask, Mount Vernon, Ohio, InterfaceAudio.com. La Salle Discovery of the Great West by francis parkman jr chapter four sixteen sixty seven to sixteen seventy two france takes possession of the west talon saint-luzant perrot the ceremony at sault-saint-marie the speech of alouet count frontenac jean talon intendant of canada was full of projects for the good of the colony on the one hand he set himself to the development of its industries and on the other to the extension of its domain he meant to occupy the interior of the continent control the rivers which were its only highways and hold it for france against every other nation on the east england was to be hemmed within a narrow strip of seaboard while on the south Toulon aimed at securing a port on the gulf of mexico to keep the Spaniards in check and dispute with them the possession of the vast regions which they claimed as their own. But the interior of the continent was still an unknown world. It behooved him to explore it, and to that end he availed himself of jesuits, officers, fur traders, and enterprising schemers like La Salle. His efforts at discovery seem to have been conducted with a singular economy of the king's purse la salle paid all the expenses of his first expedition made under Talon's auspices and apparently of the second also though the intendant announces it in his despatches as an expedition sent out by himself when in sixteen seventy he ordered daumont de st Lucian to search for copper mines on lake superior and at the same time to take formal possession of the whole interior for the king it was arranged that he should pay the cost of the journey by trading with the Indians. Saint Lucien set out with a small party of men, and Nicholas Perrault as his interpreter. Among Canadian voyageurs, few names are so conspicuous as that of Perrault, not because there were not others who matched him in achievement, but because he could write and left behind him a tolerable account of what he had seen he was at this time twenty-six years old and had formerly been an engage of the jesuits he was a man of enterprise courage and address the last being especially shown in his dealings with indians over whom he had great influence he spoke algonquin fluently and was favourably known to many tribes of that family st Lucian wintered at the manitoulin islands while perrot having first sent messages to the tribes of the north inviting them to meet the deputy of the governor at the sault st marie in the following spring proceeded to green bay to urge the same invitation upon the tribes of that quarter they knew him well and greeted him with clamors of welcome the miamis it is said received him with a sham battle which was designed to do him honor but by which nerves more susceptible would have been severely shaken. They entertained him also with a grand game of lacrosse, the Indian ball play. Perrault gives a marvelous account of the authority and state of the Miami chief, who, he says, was attended day and night by a guard of warriors, an assertion which would be incredible were it not sustained by the account of the same chief, given by the Jesuit de Blanc of the tribes of the bay the greater part promised to send delegates to the sioux but the pottawattomies dissuaded the miami potentate from attempting so long a journey lest the fatigue incident to it might injure his health and he therefore deputed them to represent him and his tribesmen at the great meeting their principal chiefs with those of the sax winnebagoes and Menomines, embarked and paddled for the place of rendezvous where they and Perrault arrived on the 5th of May. Saint-Luzon was here with his men, fifteen in number, among whom was Louis Joliet, and Indians were fast thronging in from their wintering grounds, attracted as usual by the fishery of the rapids, or moved by the messages sent by Perrault, Crees, Monsonis, Amukwes, Nepissings, and many more. When fourteen tribes or their representatives had arrived, Saint-Luzon prepared to execute the commission with which he was charged. At the foot of the rapids was the village of the Sautours, above the village was a hill, and hard by stood the fort of the Jesuits. On the morning of the 14th of June, Saint-Luzon led his followers to the top of the hill, all fully equipped and under arms. Here, too, in the vestments of their priestly office were four Jesuits, claude de blanc superior of the missions of the lakes gabriel driet claude alouet and louis andre all around the great throng of indians stood or crouched or reclined at length with eyes and ears intent a large cross of wood had been made ready de blanc in solemn form pronounced his blessing on it and then it was reared and planted in the ground while the frenchman uncovered sang the vexilla regie Then a post of cedar was planted beside it with a metal plate attached engraven with the royal arms While st. Lucian's followers sang the exodia and one of the Jesuits uttered a prayer for the king st Lucian now advanced and holding his sword in one hand and raising with the other a sod of earth proclaimed in a loud voice in the name of the most high mighty and redoubted monarch Louis fourteenth of that name most christian king of france and of navarre i take possession of this place st marie de sou as also of lakes huron and superior the island of manitoulin and all countries rivers lakes and streams contiguous and adjacent thereunto both those which have been discovered and those which may be discovered hereafter In all their length and breadth, bounded on one side by the seas of the north and of the west, and on the other by the South Sea, declaring to the nations thereof that from this time forth they are vassals of His Majesty, bound to obey His laws and follow His customs, promising them on His part all succor and protection against the incursions and invasions of their enemies, declaring to all other potentates princes sovereigns states and republics to them and to their subjects that they cannot and are not to seize or settle upon any parts of the aforesaid countries save only under the good pleasure of his most christian majesty and of him who will govern in his behalf and on this pain of incurring his resentment and the efforts of his arms vive le roi The Frenchmen fired their guns and shouted, "Vive le roi, and the yelps of the astonished Indians mingled with the din. What now remains of the sovereignty thus pompously proclaimed? Now and then the accents of France on the lips of some straggling boatman or vagabond half-breed, this and nothing more. When the uproar was over, Father Alouet addressed the Indians in a solemn harangue, and these were his words it is a good work my brothers an important work a great work that brings us together in council today look up at the cross which rises so high above your heads it was there that jesus christ the son of god after making himself a man for the love of men was nailed and died to satisfy his eternal father for our sins he is the master of our lives the ruler of heaven earth and hell It is he of whom I am continually speaking to you, and whose name and word I have borne through all your country. But look at this post to which we are fixed the arms of the great chief of France, whom we call King. He lives across the sea. He is the chief of the greatest chiefs, and has no equal on earth. All the chiefs whom you have ever seen are but children beside him. He is like a great tree, and they are but the little herbs that one walks over and tramples underfoot. You know, Onontio, that famous chief at Quebec, you know and you have seen that he is the terror of the Iroquois, and that his very name makes them tremble, since he has laid their country waste and burned their towns with fire. Across the sea there are ten thousand Onontios like him, who are but warriors of our great king, of whom I have told you. When he says, I am going to war, everybody obeys his orders, and each of these ten thousand chiefs raises a troop of a hundred warriors, some on sea and some on land. Some embark in great ships, such as you have seen at Quebec. Your canoes carry only four or five men, or at the most ten or twelve, but our ships carry four or five hundred, and sometimes a thousand others go to war by land and in such numbers that if they stood in a double file they would reach from here to missisquank which is more than twenty leagues off when our king attacks his enemies he is more terrible than the thunder the earth trembles the air and the sea are all on fire with the blaze of his cannon he is seen in the midst of his warriors covered over with the blood of his enemies whom he kills in such numbers that he does not reckon them by the scalps but by the streams of blood which he causes to flow he takes so many prisoners that he holds them in no account but lets them go where they will to show that he is not afraid of them but now nobody dares make war on him all the nations beyond the sea have submitted to him and begged humbly for peace men come from every quarter of the earth to listen to him and admire him All that is done in the world is decided by him alone. But what shall I say of his riches? You think yourselves rich when you have ten or twelve sacks of corn, a few hatchets, beads, kettles, and other things of that sort. He has cities of his own, more than there are of men in all this country, for five hundred leagues around. In each city there are storehouses, where there are hatchets enough to cut down all your forests, kettles enough to cook all your moose and beads enough to fill all your lodges his house is longer than from here to the top of the sioux that is to say more than half a league and higher than your tallest trees and it holds more families than the largest of your towns the father added more in a similar strain but the peroration of his harangue is not on record Whatever impression this curious effort of Jesuit rhetoric may have produced upon the hearers It did not prevent them from stripping the royal arms from the post to which they were nailed as soon as st Luzon and his men had left the Sioux Probably not because they understood the import of the symbol, but because they feared it as a charm St. Luzon proceeded to Lake Superior where however he accomplished nothing except perhaps a traffic with the indians on his own account and he soon after returned to quebec talon was resolved to find the mississippi the most interesting object of search and seemingly the most attainable in the wild and vague domain which he had just claimed for the king the indians had described it the jesuits were eager to discover it and la salle if he had not reached it had explored two several avenues by which it might be approached. Toulon looked about him for a fit agent of the enterprise, and made choice of Louis Joliet, who had returned from Lake Superior. But the intendant was not to see the fulfillment of his design. His busy and useful career in Canada was drawing to an end. A misunderstanding had arisen between him and the governor, Saucelles. Both were faithful servants of the king, but the relations between the two chiefs of the colony were of a nature necessarily so critical that a conflict of authority was scarcely to be avoided each thought his functions encroached upon and both asked for recall another governor succeeded one who was to stamp his mark broad bold and ineffaceable on the most memorable page of french american history louis du bois count of palu and frontenac End of chapter 4 Recording by Lawrence Trask Mount Vernon, Ohio Interface Audio dot com